The scripture reading this evening before the lesson is going to be in Romans 8, verses 28 through 39. It's Romans 8, verses 28 through 39. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he has also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who, who, is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us who will separate us from the love of Christ, will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly concur through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor the things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. Good evening, family. Hey, Josh. Here we go. PowerPoint tonight from Anthony. Watch out. Lightning's going to strike. Three weeks ago, I asked, uh, we asked for members of the church to uh, share with us some of the questions that were on your mind. Um, we, were, we decided to dedicate the month of May to taking specifically the questions that you have asked um, and answer them directly to you. And we want to do that for you starting tonight. Um, we will spend the entire month of May doing this together. And before we get into specifically what we're going to talk about tonight, I want to share with you um, the questions that came in and the plans that we've made to address those because we receive more questions um, and more you know, content than we can handle in just one month of sermons. So um, let me share that with you. First of all, there we go. Here are the questions we received. These are the words. I want to share them with you so you know that what's coming. Uh, question one was, working on a Sunday, should a Christian refrain from work or other activities on Sunday similar to like a Christian Sabbath? Question two, this person wrote a, a lot of thoughts into this saying, proper worship, um, no instruments in worship, baptism by immersion, Lord's Supper every week. Would also like to hear sermons on giving back, for example, giving money to the church collection, community outreach, feeding the homeless, and so on. So addressing the needs of those around you. Question three revolved around the sovereignty of God and his plan for my life. How much control does God have? What about free will? And then how do I discern this? Question four, how should we think and be prepared for the pending cultural hostility towards the church and her leaders? This is in 
question to things that are changing in our nation's highest courts right now, the, the things that are in question and argument. Um, they asked, how should we be prepared to handle some of the cultural shifts that are happening? Uh, question five was just care for the widows. How should the church approach this? What are the responsibilities of the church? And what about the widow? So those are the questions that came in. And here are the topics that we took those questions, we broke them down. Now, one of the things we didn't want to do was just smooth over and generalize your questions and just preach to you four or five topical sermons. We want to really address the questions that we believe were in there. So here's what we got. Nine things. The sovereignty and will of God in our lives. Uh, the idea of Sabbath, Christian Sunday, rest, Old Testament commands, New Testament liberties. Um, proper worship, one part being about the Lord's Supper. That seemed to be a question. The second part seemed to be the way we channel our worship to God, the way that worship happens. Um, specifically, the person asked for about the question of instruments, so we want to address that. Um, the purpose and mode and method of baptism was also in there. The question of giving and our giving and the church treasury and being involved in the needs of our community. Um, pending cultural hostilities stands alone, and then the widows and the elderly and, and how the church should address that. So those are the nine that we're going to address. Now, the last thing I want to share with you as, as a way of introduction is when we're going to do these so you know. So if you asked one of these questions, I want you to know when it's going to be covered so that you can um, know that it's coming down the line and we have uh, not missed it or um, decided not to answer that. So for the month of May, here's what we're going to do. We're going to deal, deal tonight with the sovereignty of God and his will in our lives. Next week, uh, we'll be dealing with the giving and connecting with the, the community needs and the church treasury and things of that nature. That'll be next Sunday night. Uh, the 17th, we'll talk about widows and the church. The 24th, we'll deal with the question of Sabbath and Christian Sunday and what should Christians do on Sunday. Um, and then for our singing night, we'll take the teaching time and talk about the specific question of worship and uh, the question that revolves around instruments. So that's the month of May, okay? In July and August, coming up uh, here in just a few months, we're going to do a series on the way of salvation, um, the teaching that we are very familiar with, but we're going to go back and look at each one of those parts. And so baptism will actually have its own uh, sermon coming in the middle of August. So I want you to know that in July and August, there's going to be a sermon series on salvation, and the purpose, mode, practice of baptism will be taught specifically um, in its own sermon at that time. We decided to do the Lord's Supper sermon on a Sunday morning when most of us take the Lord's Supper. And they'll be coming, uh, we'll let you know a few weeks in advance, but Matt is preparing um, as we look through uh, the Old Testament. There are many, many times there's reference to memorial in the Old Testament. And so Matt's going to find a, the appropriate place for us to pause, um, look at that, and compare that to the memorial feast that we take today as Christians. And on that Sunday, we will reverse where we'll have Matt preach to get us ready for the Lord's Supper, and then we'll take the communion together as a family. But you'll know that day coming up on a Sunday morning um, uh, here in the future. The last two, um, the proper worship channels. We are um, also going to be doing a series of sermons on the way that we worship, um, the acts of worship coming up either the end of this year or right in January, the beginning of 2016. So we're going to deal with all of those specific um, at that time. And then the last one was the cultural hostility question, which I'm sure 
you know, that was a great question. So most of you are probably really interested in, you know, how we're going to deal with that, right? Like changing definition of marriage and um, the legality of, of marriage laws, like if, if it happens at a government level or from a, from a national federal level or a state level, what's that mean for people like Matt and myself if, you know, performing weddings and what about our building use? All of those questions are happening. Here's what's happening. Um, uh, our elders and Matt and I are going to be um, spending some time with um, uh, somebody who uh, is actually, a, he was a corporate attorney for 15 years and then he was the dean of the law school at Faulkner University for 10 years and now he just was hired as executive vice president at Freed. He's coming to Columbus and we're going to spend some time with him asking him these questions. That's happening at the end of the month so we thought how silly to preach this and then go learn a whole bunch of more information from a guy who actually knows what he's talking about, a lawyer who dealt with you know federal corporate law and all things like that. So we're going to ask him all of those questions and learn from him how we should be prepared and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll probably deal with that very quickly after um, learning about that. So everybody good? Thank you so much. Um, the questions you ask are important. We, we know this because not only do we want to address your question for you, the, the person who asked it, but most likely um, those that are in the audience will also be blessed and benefited by the questions that are asked. Um, so we want you to know that that's the plan is we're going to deal with these questions um, as specifically as we can without just jumping on a hobby and riding a hobby on this particular question. We're going to try our best to do a well-rounded teaching of each one of these. So um, we'll, we'll continue to post this schedule for you so that you know what's coming um, and you can um, continue to ask um, additional things about these as we go along. Okay, so our question tonight came in this form. It said, I want to know about the sovereignty of God, His plan for my life. How much control does God have in that? And what about my free will? And then how do I discern if God does have a will for my life? How do I discern this? Pretty good question, right? Would you agree? Anybody else thought of those things? Like, am I... Am I on the right path? Am I, am I living God's will in my life? What is God's will for my life? That, that, usually that first part of that, what is God's will for my life, comes earlier in our, in our um, experience on this earth. But I'm sure as we get older and older, we still kind of wonder that. You know, it's funny, I'm, I'm 32 now, and I have kids, and I'm married, but I still, you know, pause and say, is this the right path? Am I, am I going the way that God wants me to go? Am I doing what He wants me to do? And so... This question is very, very good. The way that it was asked um, lets us walk through each section of these questions. So I'm just going to do that for you. The really cool thing about this question, though, is this is one of those that I usually get um, at one of my coffee shop offices, sitting with somebody who is just really, um, you know, searching and, and wanting to learn. And so um, I'm going to answer tonight this question and preach in a way that we're all together at a coffee shop, okay? So can somebody bring me... Um, no decaf tonight. So we want to be very, uh, th this question tempted me because it tempted me in two ways. One way is that I just wanted to be in the theory of the sovereignty of God and have nothing to do with your life. Just talk about the sovereignty of God because it's a deep question. But we want to be very, very practical with you tonight. So we'll try to do that. So the first question is the sovereignty of God, his plan for my life. And before we really get into that, we have to say this. Does God actually have plans for your life? Like you specifically. Does God in the cosmic realm looking down on earth and 
here with us? Does he say, I have a plan for Cher West and her life, exactly what she's going to do? Does he? It's a good question. Um, and, and out of that answer, then we can find other answers. For instance, uh, as we think about his plan for my life, there are a few ways to go about considering this. The first one is, in a general sense, God does have a will for all people. There's a common general will that God has for all people. But really, I think what this question is asking and what we mostly ask is specifically, my life, does God have a will for where I should go, what I should do? And this question usually gets separated into two big categories. You know, the, the, the big decisions in life and the little decisions. Like, does God, is it God's will that we go to KFC after church tonight? Is that, is that God's will? It, has he ordered my steps that I should go to Chipotle and not like noodles and company? You know, like we have, it's a fair question, right? I mean, if he's sovereign and if you run that thing to the end of the end is to the end of its rope, does God care? Is God involved? Is he quietly you know, directing every decision and bumping me along the path and leading me to Chipotle and a wife and a job? Is he doing all that? But really what we ask, I think what we really want to know is, What's God's will for the big things in my life? My spouse. Who does God want me to marry? Um, what kind of career, vocation should I have? Should I work? Um, those, in my experience working with young adults, are the two biggest questions that people want God's input on, right? Like, God, what's your will for me, mainly in finding a spouse and a career? Let me give you just a couple things about, at the top level, God's general will for you. And here's why this is important. This is not just like Bible class 101 to kind of bore you and, and just top level disconnect. You should not answer. You shouldn't even consider the question of God's specific will for your life outside of the context of God's general will for all people. If you think God is so interested in the minute details of every little turn that you make in your life, but you, are, you disregard the big, sweeping, general will of God for all people, you'll be misguided. You'll chase most often your passions and call it God's will. You'll be one of those people that say, you know, I felt like God calling me to do this, and you probably haven't even prayed about it. You just really want to do something, and you're following your own volition and your own will and your own desires. So the context of God's will for all people has to be something that is a foundation or an anchor to any question you ask. And it seems like it's so commonplace, right? Like really simple, God's will for all people. But I found that we got to do some review on it. We've got to at least hit the scriptures, that, what they say, so that you can be anchored into that. Um, Peter said it this way, 2 Peter 3.9, that, that God desires that all people repent, have life. Paul said to Timothy that God desires all people to be saved, to be saved. Now, there's a lot packed into those words because you have God's desire. What does God do with his desires? And then you have the word save. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be restored or redeemed? And we'll have to do work on that later. There's another verse, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, where, God, where Paul said to the church in Thessalonica that this is God's will. This is it. Your sanctification that you would abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says God's will for people 
is that you would progressively be sanctified in your life. Sanctified means to be continuing to be cleansed so you can be set apart, not for common use anymore, but for holy use. When they got instruments or utensils or tools for the temple, they would take those common elements like a fork or a stool or a chair or anything like that, and they would sanctify that item so that it would no longer be used at your dining room table, but it would be used at the table of God. Does that make sense? That's what sanctification is. And God's will for people is that they would stop living their lives in such a common, reckless, worthless way apart from Him, and that they would become more and more sanctified, set apart, dedicated wholly for the purposes of God. That's God's will for you. Micah 6, 8 says, What does the Lord require of thee but to... Give me the three again. Love, mercy, do justice, walk humbly with God. Those are the three, right? I always get them mixed up. There's God's will for people. That you would love mercy, that you would do justice, and you would walk humbly with Him. Our text here gives us, Romans 8, let's look at it again, gives us probably one of the most condensed texts on the sovereignty and action of God in our lives. And what you see in Romans 8.28 is God's purpose, His end, like what His general will for all people is. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Boy, that verse feels good, but we don't always like verse 29. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now listen to verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be, co- to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now this is a more um, theological explanation of what it means to be sanctified. God's will, the activity of God in our life sweeping is constantly what God is trying to do in our lives is use events, circumstances, people, situations, and and where we are in our life to continue to shape us to be pressed into the image of Jesus Christ. That we would be transformed, that we would be changed, that that the heat and the cool and the rain and the sun will continue to cultivate and grow us, not into just the best version of me, but the to into Christ. That's God's will for all people. And if you aren't asking what's God's will for my life out of an understanding of that, what's God's will for all people, you will quickly be misguided and lost and untethered to the truth of God. Now, the Bible also speaks indirectly to other areas. So if you're going to become a husband, the Bible is very clear what God's will for you is. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. If you're going to be a spouse, God has revealed clearly what his will is for you. If you're seeking a spouse, God has revealed his will on some things about that, what you should do. If you're seeking to be, or if you become a father or a mother, God has been very clear about what his will is for parents. He just has said things like, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. That's clear. And you can think about that and learn from that and grow. God has indirectly and clearly spoken about how we should enter into friendships and who we should be friends with. That's in the scripture. If you're going to pursue, let's say, a career in business, God is very clear about His will for you as a businessman or woman. For instance, in Proverbs 16, He says, Honest scales belong to the Lord. That's just God's will. That you would do business in an upright and honest way, not in a shady way. So God has spoken to us. The question sometimes is, are we listening? 
um, about his plan for my life, okay? So let's get into this next question, then we'll get down to the end and, and, and be practical with discernment. We don't have the time, um, and I don't know if we have the intellectual stamina to do this, but the, the, the subject of God's sovereignty um, should lead you to Romans chapter 11, 33 through 35, where, uh, spoiler alert, it just basically says, who can know the mind of the Lord? Okay? Like, God is way bigger and way smarter than us. Like, our understanding of God's sovereignty and our free will is probably less than my children's understanding of their free will. Like, what they think, what they understand. Does that make sense? Like, how big God is? Um, let me... What, what this question is really asking is this, is what is God's role and what is my role in our life? You see, the control or sovereignty of God in the world is a subject that does not have this really tidy, simple answer that just you're going to go to bed tonight and totally get the whole thing about exactly how God works in his world all the time. You just won't. The sovereignty of God is way, way deeper, way bigger than that. And like all deep, eternal truths of God, you and I have to have the strength to hold the opposite ends of that truth in the spectrum in tension and hold on to those and not let go of them. Here's what we know about it. Here's what we can see from Scripture revealed about God. That God is sovereign, meaning He rules over all. I mean, He directs paths and He inter intervenes in lives and He accomplishes His will for the glory of His name and the good of His people. God does that. And at the same time, the Bible reveals a complete accountability of you and your actions and your choices. Both of those truths have to be held together and there's a tension between them. And what we do in our, um, with our human minds is we take those two truths, like God is completely sovereign, does what he wants for the glory of his name in this world. And you are completely accountable for your decisions and actions. What we usually want to do is reduce one of those to make it easier to understand. So, for instance, let's reduce um, human accountability and increase God's sovereignty in our minds. What happens when we do that is like nothing really matters anymore, right? God's going to do what he wants. Who cares what I do? I can decide this. I can not decide this. I can, I can take school serious. I can not take school serious. I can work. I can not work. It doesn't matter, right? God's sovereign. And with that understanding of God, we become very passive. We just don't care. And so as a response to that, what people oftentimes do is reduce the sovereignty of God. As though God were some participant in the world, and he's up in heaven wondering, like, what's tomorrow going to be like? I don't know. This is going to be really interesting. And I really hope these people get it right because I don't know what I'm going to do. That's not true either. The Bible doesn't reveal that about God either. The Bible reveals both of those truths about God. That he is actively accomplishing his will on earth. There's only one will in the world and it's his. But you are completely accountable for your decisions. It's hard to hold this together, isn't it? So um, that's how you know it's true because you got to work to hold it together. This question faces an additional difficulty specifically in our culture. You know, we're grandchildren of the Enlightenment movement, which, was, which gave birth to things like skepticism. And we are very, very academic, very intellectual, very objective. We're all about observable things. And if we can observe it, then we can believe it. If we can't observe it, then we can't believe it. That, that's what our culture in Western society is really about, especially in America. Now, I will tell you this. 
We have to address our questions in our culture because they reveal things about us. But there's never really been a culture in history that's had as much problem with God's sovereignty as ours. You see, our culture wants it to be one or the other. Either God is sovereign or I have free will. Which one is it? And the question, and the answer is not either or. The question is and and both. Okay? And that truth, I know it's hard to swallow. And I know I'm getting a little bit heady. I promise I'll get very practical in just a moment. But I, I don't want to let go of this for you just yet. So stay with me, okay? Here's why this is important for you to not let go of these things. Because the moment you let go of it, you will either give up on life and, you know, who cares? Just forget about it. Or you'll be paralyzed in your life. Imagine if this were really true. That God in heaven was sitting down here saying, I can't do anything about the world. I need you to do it all. I don't know what to do. I hope these people get it right. If that were the case, if God were up there and we could, there was nothing for us to trust in and everything was on our shoulders, I would advise you not to get out of bed in the morning. Just lay there and don't move. Don't do anything. Because all of the decisions and the things that happen in the world, there are millions of connection points that are happening that you and I are not even aware of that are happening in the world where God is working things together and one decision and one action, one word, one, one um, wrong move, and the rest of my history or our history is ruined because of that? How, how could we live with that kind of pressure? You couldn't. And you can't bear up under the pressure of really being God. So, sovereignty of God. Yes, God is active in His world and will accomplish His will. He will. He says you're either a vessel of honor or dishonor in this world. But you are completely accountable and you have free will. Both of those exist. And they don't have to be separate. So let me give you a Proverbs 16 and then we'll do the last part. Because Proverbs 16 is a great place to see this tension. Listen to the way that the proverb writer goes back and forth between these two truths, okay? You'll need to spend some time in Proverbs 16 to, to pray over these things. He says, The plans of the heart belong to man. There's us, right? Free will. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Now listen to verse 3. And in verse 3, what you'll get is a great picture of how we should operate with this truth. Commit your work to the Lord. That's your free will. When you wake up tomorrow and you're a student or you're an employee or you're a parent or you're just a neighbor and you have things you're doing in your life, the free will choice that God is calling for you to make is to commit those things to the Lord. Now look what he says after that. And your plans will be established. Now listen to verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Now look down in verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I believe that verse right there brings together those two huge ideas. So, how much control does God have? As much control as God has. And will accomplish His will globally for the glory of His name in this world. How much responsibility do you have? 
complete responsibility, to dedicate yourself, to commit yourself, to be making the right choices. And you have to bring those two together. And he says in verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Okay, last one. How do you discern this? Flip over to chapter 3 of Proverbs. I want to actually give you, you know, some things you can do. So there's no real way for you to um, eliminate the need for relationship in this discernment process or trust. Listen how uh, the proverb writer says 5 and 6. You've probably seen this on refrigerator magnet or something. He says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Seems like there's, you know, four thoughts, four sentences, four, four ideas there. And he starts with, first and foremost, trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You will not get around this idea that God's will for my life cannot be discerned outside of a trust for God. It cannot be. You, you won't even begin to understand where God wants you to go in your life if you don't have a trust-filled relationship with Him. So the second thing he says to do is, so trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Don't lean on your understanding. So the second thing I would tell you to do after you work on trusting your relationship to God and who God is, is He trustworthy and learn to trust Him, is prayerfully relinquish your control. And when I say prayerfully, what I mean is in your prayers, relinquish the fact that things have to go exactly the way that you think they need to go. Pray literally with requests, like, God, help me, lead me. Where do you want me to go? Um, So prayerfully relinquish control. This third thing he says is, um, uh, in all your ways, acknowledge him. This means to submit to him, to, to in all of your directions and all of your decisions as you decide to go this way or that way, be constantly looking for a way to submit to God through your prayer, through your decision, through counsel that's around you. But finally, at the end, he says this, um, and he will make your paths straight. The last part is you actually in front of you and make a decision and move forward. I would say trust God relinquish control, submit to Him and walk. And in doing that, He makes straight and guides your way. He reveals your will, His will to you. Now, let's get down. So, so that's in general how you can cultivate this discerning God's will in my life. Let me uh, try to get specific, especially for some of our young adults that ask questions about this. Um, first of all, I would tell you, this is just now, this is coffee shop talk, okay? So this is not like exegeting a Bible text. This is just my best shot at it. I would tell you first and foremost, excel in the will of God that's revealed before you worry about the mystery of the will of God. Do you know how much of God's will is revealed to you? And if you disregard and have no interest in the revealed will of God, why would God trust you with his secret will? What would make him say, I know Anthony's going to do this. He doesn't even do what I've told him to do, but I know he's going to do what you know, the, the, the specifically I want him to do. So excel in what is revealed to you. I would tell you to seek godly input. If you don't have one, two, possibly three people in your life that know you well, that know you truthfully, 
that you go to, that you talk about things with, that are, I would suggest also older than you, that you trust. Um, seek their input and listen. God will most often communicate back to us through the voices of other people. And this is a great relief if you begin to trust God because seeking counsel from other people is not just trusting that other people are perfect. It's trusting that the God you trust in is perfect and He'll work through them to lead you to help you. So I would encourage you to seek godly input. I would ask you to think about praying questions and not requests. What is a massive difference in a prayer life? And it really changed for me when I learned to start praying open-ended questions, not just specific requests. Like, God, will you do this? Or God, should I do this? You see how closed close down those are? Like, God, should I go here? Gives God really just a yes or no option. But open-ended is, God, where should I go? What should I do? And pray open-ended questions to God and not just demanding your requests. I would say to listen to God with all your senses. That means to watch, to see, to hear, to be around and to see. And realize that closed doors, doors that close, that become no's to you, are not bad answers from God. Doors that close are not bad answers. A um, couple last pieces for you and then we'll finish. The question of what is God's will in my life seems to revolve around vocation for a lot of young people. So I want to answer like if there's young people here thinking about their vocation, I want to give you a couple pieces of advice um, about seeking God's will in that. Um, first of all, when you ask yourself, like, what is God's will for my life vocationally? I would really start with checking your motivation. And what I mean by that is a lot of people use their career to get their identity out of it. And so if you are asking God to reveal what he wants you to do in your life, which will just give you identity and purpose in it, um, just realize that your identity comes from Christ and not just your career. And there are three places that, that three things I would tell you to do vocationally. One, you need to look inside of you. We have been wired, we have been gifted, we have been given things from God. There are things that you are good at, things that you are skilled in. So I would, I would tell you to ask yourself, how am I wired? How am I gifted? What am I good at? What am I passionate about? What do I enjoy doing? What would I like to do if I woke up on Monday and got to go do that thing? And if you find that doing that thing that you enjoy doing on Monday can actually also pay the bills, that's what they call a vocation. It's a vocation. Now, if it doesn't pay the bills, then just make it an avocation, something you enjoy doing on the side. But start, first of all, looking inside. What are you good at? What are you um, skilled in? Secondly, look outside of yourself. Look around. What are the needs that are around you? Where do you see yourself being drawn to help, to serve, to give? Where do you look and you see in this world a brokenness or something that you can pour yourself into? Because you'll be drawn to certain things and not drawn to others. And I would encourage you to look outside of yourself and say, you know, where do I want to pour myself into? And then I would encourage you to look up and um, seek, again, godly counsel and bring people into your life that can help you. Um, if anybody has any additional questions about God's will, I'd be more than happy to talk further about this. Our time is probably absolutely out. I'm sorry if I've gone a little bit long. I want to just finish again with Romans 8 and tell you this. That when God revealed what he was doing in life, in all of life, in his sovereignty, in Romans 8, when Paul, the brilliant theologian, was writing that God is conforming you to the image of his son and God is working all things and he uses scary words to us like predestined and foreknowing and all of that. 
You know what Paul does at the end of all of that conclusion? He says, if God's for us, who's against us? And he says, who can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? You see, what has to settle in your mind when you think about the sovereignty of God is that God is not this scary, evil mastermind that wants to harm your life. I think about it so often with my kids. We'll be at home and they'll be doing something in the house and Lisa and I have planned this really fun thing to do with them like, you know, go to a water park or do something fun and we go and we say, okay guys, come inside, let's get cleaned up, we're going to leave and they, no, you know, they start freaking out about it and they're mad at us and why? Because right then they have a will to, you know, play with their cars or swing on the swings but they have no clue of a better will for them, a bigger will. And there's so many people that are looking directly at what they think is in front of them, that they think is my life, my will, what I want to do, scared to death of a father who has a will that's different than theirs. Well, if God says he's a father, but he called us evil, it'd be, he said, you know how to give good gifts. What about God? In thinking of God's sovereignty, Paul concluded with this, if God's for us, who's against us? That's where you need to conclude. What's separating you from really trusting that God loves you? That's what this really is all about. Because when you trust that God loves you, you'll walk with him into his will for your life. What's separating you? Paul asks some questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? He says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Are you, are you bringing charges against yourself? He said, God is the judge, and he's judged Christ for us. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? There's not a thing in the world that can separate you from that. So I would encourage you to not be separated from the love of God anymore. Let your trust in who he is and his goodness not only save you, but lead you throughout your life. Uh, if we can help you with that, you can come as we stand and sing.